Welcome to Voice It. This is a podcast showcasing people in the Clare Valley and the mid-north of South Australia who've started their own businesses from scratch and have turned them into success stories. I'm your host, Annabelle Homer. I reckon, I think it must have been, you know, day two of um, induction week at, at Roseworthy. We were on a bus and travelling somewhere for a tour and a tasting and, and someone was talking about Shiraz. And I remember turning around and um, saying to somebody, um, what's Shiraz? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and here I am making a, uh, intending to make a career out of this. So I really started on the back foot. There's no doubt about that. Let's just say she's not on the back foot anymore. In fact, she's now known as Australia's Riesling Queen. Meet Kerry Thompson. She's been making wine in South Australia's Clare Valley for more than 20 years, founding her winery Wines by KT in 2006. Kerry, or as most of us call her, KT, grew up by the beach at Glenelg, but spent a lot of her time in the mid-north at her grandmother's farm at Black Springs near Robertstown. So this beach-loving girl always had some affinity with the land, which could partly explain why she went down the winemaking path. But it wasn't planned. You could say she was flying blind. But the one thing that she did want to do was get to Italy, and working in the wine industry was going to get her there. KT's story starts at the Roseworthy Agricultural College as a young 17-year-old girl about to embark on a career in a male-dominated industry. It wasn't easy being the youngest in her year, or a female for that matter, but despite sailing through some rough seas, KT has come out the other end as one of the country's top Riesling makers, making wines that express spirit of place and enjoyment. This is KT's story. It really was completely out of left field um, for me, for my family. And, um, you know, I left high school, straight from high school, to go out to Roseworthy uh, Agricultural College to study winemaking at the age of 17. Why? Why Roseworthy? And it was really, it was funny because I was, I enjoyed science at school. I was pretty good at chemistry and I was but I also had these two sides so I um, studied art and chemistry at high school which is really you know obviously not normal Um, and um, and I just really was unsure about which direction I wanted to take but um, somebody at the high school like a careers counsellor had said to me um, you should go and check out Roseworthy um, Agricultural College because they have science courses with a bit of a twist. And because I knew that I wanted to travel, I knew that I wanted to... Um, I was also studying um, language, Italian, and I knew that I wanted to somewhere, somehow end up working over there and, and so... In Italy. Yeah, and so it gave me an opportunity to sort of uh, celebrate all of those avenues and so I went out to the um, agricultural campus and and it just sounded so fantastic and to be able to sort of still focus on some science 
but not be stuck in a laboratory all of the time. And, and um, I mean, honestly, had I known what I was getting myself in for, there's absolutely no way that I would have continued, I don't think. Oh, really? Why? Oh, it, I mean, I, I found it really difficult. I was a fish out of water. I was 17. The university had to get, help me get a fake ID to be able to go to all of the tastings at the age of 17. You know, it was, it was ridiculous. Should we be re- revealing that? It, well, probably not. <laughs> and it probably wouldn't happen these days. Um, yeah, no. And wow. So, that was so in, were you one, one of the youngest students? I was, okay, yeah. yeah. Right. So that was in the early 90s. And I was one of um, six females out of a group of... 35 something of that nature and so um you know I'd come from a really nurturing you know very close friendship base and close family to being completely thrown in the deep end out at uni and to be honest I I really I found it really difficult and so what kept you going then I wasn't a particularly good student I have to say um (laughs) in regards to what (laughs) partying (laughs) pretty well um isn't that a rite of passage uh, though yeah well of course yeah and so I I moved in with my grandparents for 12 months and I didn't have a license so I was learning how to drive so not just the sort of you know, the university work, it was also just a lot of those sort of growing up things as well at the same time. So it was it was an interesting time for sure. But I suppose being a really driven and quite competitive person, I just, you know, wasn't going to um, accept anything other than making it work. Mm. You know, in the end, I suppose I put my head down enough to get through. When did you taste your first glass of wine and did you actually like it well I remember um at I reckon I think it must have been you know day two of um induction week at at Roseworthy we were on a bus and traveling somewhere for a tour and a tasting and and someone was talking about Shiraz and I remember turning around and um saying to somebody um what's Shiraz? <laughs> you know, like, and here I am making a, uh, intending to make a career out of this. So I really started on the back foot. There's no doubt about that. Do you think that's a benefit though? Oh, Having a clean slate like that? Absolutely. Starting from scratch? Yeah, most definitely. And so I was really, I was just a sponge, but I'm sort of the person that absolutely learns from being hands-on and tactile. And, and so it wasn't really until I was out and about in industry and and actually being given an opportunity to get into things and and um, learning learning from doing mm. that things just started to really sort of click and 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 actually enjoying the process of having a physical vocation I suppose so it was sink or swim essentially so when you finished your degree what was the first job? Where did you go? Well, we had to complete a vintage as part of the university training. And so being at that point, I was only 18 years old, still, you know, very few females in the industry at that time. And um, so I found it really difficult to get work experience and so this was for a work experience it was part of the course and I just went from interview to interview to interview and it just was becoming really quite 
depressing and yeah. and and you know because and it's that vicious cycle unless you have experience you don't really get an opportunity but to get the experience you need the opportunity so I was really fortunate that I received a letter from Stephen John who at the time was managing Cortala Wines um, but back in those days it was called Eagle Hawk he and Tim Adams were working there and so my first ever vintage was at Eagle Hawk Wines which is now Cortala they very kindly gave me a vintage position um, working in the laboratory it was a wonderful experience because often the laboratory is the real hub of vintage so all of the communication often comes through there all of the um, samples you get to see a really broad range of, of what's going on and so it was a fabulous experience and I'm forever grateful to those guys for actually seeing something in me that was going to give me that initial opportunity after that was we've I finished my degree and then um, was out looking for work and that was in the obviously the early 90s um, and the Australian wine community was sort of just starting to gain a lot more momentum international markets were opening up and so there were um, positions um, becoming available and so I really fortunately was given a vintage role at Wera Wera Vineyards down in McLarenvale. That was a family-owned operation large enough to give you a really broad experience but still small enough for us to be able to sit around a table at lunchtime all together and um, taste some wines and you know eat some great food and talk I, I thought everyone worked like that you know we talked about art we talked about politics we talked about you know all of this sort of stuff and it was it was an amazing first step into the wine community. What was your job there? So I was um, employed as a seller hand and and, um, you know the good thing about that was that uh, you were involved in everything you Mm. know I learnt all of the equipment all of the machinery Um, you weren't just sort of put on one job so that was really the start and and that was the opportunity you know, being tactile, being learning whilst doing, and all of that. Um, I just absolutely loved it, and it was at that point that I was like, "Wow, this is this is what I want to do." Lots of fun, yeah, yep. Bloody hard work. You know, we worked um, long hours, and how long were you there for? Uh, well, I was there on and off for five vintages. They were wonderful because they allowed me an opportunity to travel internationally and work internationally and every now and then I'd get a phone call and say, right, it's time to come home. Oh, so um, you went, you started to travel overseas, yeah. do vintages overseas. Yeah. So where did you do those? Well, the well, it got me to Italy. So I worked in Chianti at an amazing producer called Isolea Lana with a, an amazing winemaker called Paolo Damarchi who I still remain in contact with um, nowadays, which is a, a really beautiful thing, and so that was in uh, my first vintage. There was in 1995, and um, and how old were you at this point? Well, I twenty um, one. Yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, I wow. was twenty one. What a baptism of fire, it though. Was. That's still qu- you're still quite young, and yeah, you're doing was, a vintage overseas. That's amazing. It was amazing. It was that experience. I remember the moment. You know, I was sitting out in the vineyard with Paolo and the vineyard manager, we, we sat down, we were sitting on the earth and 
we were sort of feeling the rocks and, and um, you know, they were explaining to me about what it is that makes Italian wine. And, you know, I'll never forget that moment because it was really at that point that things just all of a sudden made sense mm-hmm. to me. And that was really the moment that I was like so inspired, my God, this is, this is what I'm going to do forevermore. How did you even get in contact with this winemaker yeah well (laughs) so I mean you got to remember that this was all before um mobile phones phones Mm. and um I mean I still remember the first mobile phone that I ever saw that was the size of a brick and it was like the um Ben Riggs who was the winemaker at we were at the time who um I worked with um, you know, he was like super excited about it, and and it was just like, oh my god, look how far we've come. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, there were a series of faxes. We were work. I was communicating with Italy via fax, and um, so was it through a connection from Wira Wira? Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so at Wira, we used to make um, wines for a number of different people. Um, one of which at the time was Sean Smith. And so we used to produce their Sauvignon Blanc back in the day. God, how far the life has come. Martin Shaw, who's a lovely fellow, and he um, used to come in and taste the wines and um, we'd get chatting and I had said to him how I really desperately wanted to get to Italy and work in Italy and um, he was like, oh, I've got a contact that you know, you might, I might be able to hook you up with. And so it went from there. Wow. And I had no understanding of of who this person was or what this place was and um it was only after some communication that I remember um reading a magazine uh, a wine magazine and there was a photo of Paolo and talking about how things were starting to take off for them in the in the US and as it transpired he this guy was pretty famous and 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 I was like oh my god I'm going to actually work for like a really awesome pressure place. yeah pressure <laughs> and I remember arriving um off the bus in well you know obviously flew to to <laughs> Florence but um uh, caught a bus from Florence down to backpack on, the, yeah, the yeah, totally, <laughs> absolutely. And I got off the bus, and Paolo met me at the bus, and he's like, "Gee, you know, you're you're Australian, and and you guys are making some um, pretty good Chardonnay, which is pretty hilarious thinking about the early nineties." And he was like, "Well, you've got to make the Chardonnay for us this year." And I mean, like, had you ever made Chardonnay? Well, I'd been a part of a couple of vintages of Chardonnay, but, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And, of course, you know, again, getting back to that whole, well, this is my opportunity, I'm going to take it and run with it. It's sink or swim, let's go for it. I'm competitive. I was just like, sure, I can do that for you. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God. So, um, yeah, and it's so funny because I would be absolutely... Scared out of my mind. Well, yeah, but and of course I was, but it's wow. so, sort of like those, you know, every now and then moments come into your life that you you have to take them because you just don't know if they're going to ever come your way again. And um, and that was the moment. And that was one of the moments, yeah. And it, it's so funny, I saw Paolo a few years ago and he said to me, you know, KT, that Chardonnay that you made in 1995 is one of the best Chardonnays we've ever had. And I was like, oh my God, I'm sure you're just saying that. But, you know, it's like, it's 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 sort of, it was definitely one of those crossroad moments where, you know, see the 
It's make or break. So let's go to the next stage in your life. When did you realise, uh, okay, I love this. I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to develop my own winery, my own brand, and my signature will be Riesling. When did that all Well, that came a a little while later, but I suppose that moment in Italy really taught me um, to look at wine very differently. So at the time in Australia, wine was very much about a flavour bomb and, and, you know, it was sort of a a bigger fruit expression and and that was really putting Australian wine on the map, which was fantastic. But, you know, to be able to look at wine from a more structural and textural element and think about the shape of a wine as opposed to, you know, just the flavour was a really important part of my winemaking style and evolving my winemaking style and that really happened um, working internationally. So when I returned... I interviewed for a position as the uh, white winemaker at Leasingham Wines for the Hardy Wine Company and um, was fortunate enough to um, get that role. So that brought me back to Clare. And so that was back in 98. And so I've been living and working and making wine in Clare ever since then. You've been here a fair while. Yeah, so 22 odd years. Uh, it wasn't long after um, I took that position that the manager of the site uh, left and so there was another one of these crossroad opportunity moments. So at the age of 24, I've taken a position as a white winemaker and then all of a sudden um, I have the opportunity to take on the management of a 6,000 tonne winery. And of course I say yes. Because <laughs> another one of those it's moments. Another one of those moments, yeah. and um, you're obviously very good at what you do, though, because you wouldn't be offered these moments oh, or given well, these moments. Thank you for saying that. And but but you get to a point where it's like, well, I just this will mean working hard and learning a lot of new stuff, and and I just I suppose I'm the kind of person that that never lets those things sit idle you know I'm, I'm yeah, going to take yeah. it on yeah so I uh, I took that position and I was with the Hardy Wine Company for eight years and um, the corporate world taught me a lot of new experiences and 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 a lot of different sides to winemaking and a lot of business you know running to budgets and all of that sort of management stuff yeah. which was um, a fabulous opportunity. It took me around the world. I travelled a lot with wine around the world, which is, again, one of the things that I always wanted to sort of get involved in. Do you think corporate wine has has that reputation of not being as high quality? Well, I think um, it's unfortunate that, that sometimes that is the case, but it's not necessarily true. And I have to really, I suppose, defend uh, certainly from my perspective and what we what we were involved in. We had a lot of smaller parcels that were really um, nurtured and cared for and, and quality levels from, you know, all aspects, right from the, the top tier all the way down. And, and, you know, everything that we did was very much about um, focusing on making sure that at all of those tiers it was the best that it could possibly be. The experience that I had there really taught me how to look after, I suppose, wine qualities at different levels. Mm-hmm. Having worked in um, sites of various different sizes, I have to say the discipline that we had within that big company framework 
was so significant that you know we've I've taken that through to my work now so without that discipline um you know I certainly wouldn't be able to achieve what I am now I don't think when did you decide to leave Hardy's and then go out on your own yeah 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 so I suppose after eight years of corporate and and as so often happens you you end up more in management you end up more behind a computer and spreadsheets and all that sort of thing and and I just wasn't it was it's not for me you know I'm pretty rubbish at all that sort of stuff so I was really desperate to get back um, to being hands-on and I had a phone call from a grower that is now a really important wine growing source for my business Um, so Bunny Peg Letus rang and said look I've I've not got a home for my fruit for next vintage. Do you happen to know of anybody who might be interested in in taking my fruit? And I was like, don't ring anyone else. I'm going to take it. And that was really the catalyst to – so I resigned not long after and started my own business. And And why Riesling? I suppose in my past at at, um, Wirra and internationally, most of my experience had been red wine production. So when I started um, at Leasingham and um, the first vintage I ever made um, for Leasingham was rubbish, was horrible. And I think it got the lowest score in the um, Clare Wine Show. And Gee, that wouldn't have been great for your confidence. No, absolutely not. And I remember going, oh, wow, you know, this is, again, one of those moments, this is like horrific I've got to make some changes and so I've just flipped it so the next year it was like all um, resources onto the Riesling we're going to make we're going to try and do the very best we can and so I did a whole heap of chatting to other winemakers and and tasting other wines and really trying to I suppose just you know, review my focus and then the next year we won the best Riesling and won the McNapstein Trophy at the Clare Wine Show for the 2000 vintage Bin 7 Riesling. Oh, wow. So it was sort of like, you know, from the worst to the best. You know, it was a great wake-up call. It was it was one of those moments that, again, makes you go, well, you know, with some extra, um, I suppose, focus and and research and doing the extra work that essentially changed the part my path so I really fell in love with Riesling and sort of made it you know that sort of life work well I'm going to show people how beautiful Riesling can be and um and really since then have sort of made a an effort to communicate to people that Riesling can be many different shapes and sizes and you know really show the beauty of the diversity of the grape variety. When did KT Wines, when was it first established? What year was that? 2006. 2006. And yeah. so I had started making some Riesling for my own business back in 2004 and then had resigned from Leasingham in 2006 and um, my first official vintage for Wines by KT was 2007. So Um, when did you feel you really had the numbers on the board and you really had hit your stride with your own business? How long did it take? I think it's still happening. (laughs) I'm not sure. I don't know about that. I'm not really too sure that we're there yet. Um, (laughs) I suppose... Yeah, look, it's a hard question to answer because the the goalposts are always sort of changing. You know, every year I come up with 
sort of bigger and better things to do. Each year there's something new in the business. And so, you know, it's constantly evolving and growing. And, and, um, but you've got to sell a door. You've got obviously a ready ready supply of, of grapes Absolutely. or supportive growers. Yeah, so that's, that's all right. established. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it certainly has taken a number of years to achieve that. A lot of support from a lot of really great people. It's Wines by KT, but there's no way it's just a one-person operation. You know, I've, I have staff... I have some staff now. I also have a really supportive family and network of people around me that have helped create um, this business too. How many growers? growers? How many growers? Well, I have historically only been working with two growers, but um, the last few years things have changed a little in that the business has grown and so to... Uh, improve the supply I've had to sort of look a little bit further afield so I'm now working with uh, about 10 different growers all Clare Valley um, mainly from around the Watervale area but certainly um, a little bit further afield um, around the valley now and and most of these vineyards are older vines most of them are dry grown a lot of the families have been farming for many decades and um, so I'm really lucky to be working with some really beautiful people and that's for me a big part of the story too you know finding people that you're looking at life from a similar direction and you know wanting to because a lot of the focus is about making sure that it's sustainable farming and really caring for for the special patch of dirt that they're on. So you set up the business back in 2006. Mm, yeah. Since then, what has been the most challenging year? 2011 was a really difficult vintage because it just didn't stop raining. And there was a lot of disease pressure, a lot of botrytized grapes that were sort of not able to be used. And so, you know, that tested a lot of people it certainly tested my winemaking skills because I had never experienced anything like it it had tested a lot of growers as well because they too had never seen anything like it and so it was a very expensive year because we only picked about one third of the fruit that was out on the vine and then of course the stigma attached to that particular vintage out in the marketplace so a lot of people then didn't buy them which was a real shame because some of the wines that um, were bottled were absolutely delicious and um, because it was a cool year we had some really fabulous um, natural acid and so these wines are actually cellaring really beautifully. So that was a really tough season for us as a wine community to work through. So a third of of the grapes were picked, so how does that translate into how many bottles of wine were produced out of that vintage? Uh, Well, look, for me, um, I didn't release any red wine under my label from that particular vintage because I just kept going back to them and saying oh look they're just not where my market Mm. would want them you know that's a significant loss to skip but even though I've bought all of the grapes I've made all of the wine but haven't released them so it was a really expensive year so that took a couple of years really for us to work through and it wasn't just me, it was a, it was all of the wine businesses out in the community. The sort of flow-on effects to the community have been significant and really it took a number of years to work through that. I suppose from a business perspective, well certainly last year was 
you know, with, with the advent of COVID and for someone who's built a business on selling to bars and restaurants, particularly on the East Coast, uh, all of a sudden most of my market was closed. You know, we really had to shift our thinking pretty quickly last year and so online. to online um, which then of course highlighted a number of inefficiencies in my website and so that's now all recently been upgraded. We had to be pretty quick on our feet last year. What has been lovely is that my wine community, my mailing list clientele have been fabulously supportive, have continued to buy wine online, regional tourism then really stepped up last year and so Cellar Door has been really busy um, and so we started opening Cellar Door more often. And Has that made up for the losses interstate? It certainly has, I suppose, brought a whole new side to my business and, again, highlighting some areas of that I've needed to improve, you know, that haven't necessarily been a focus in the past. So... Out of the difficult years, there have been some um, really significant learnings and so I feel like we're now in quite a strong position sort of to take the, you know, the next step and, and that's been, you know, a period of growth as well. We've come off a string of some smaller harvests with seasonal conditions being as dry as they've been but this year has been an improvement on that and so um, we've got some really delicious wines to take to the market so I'm really excited about the next couple of years. How's China's tariffs on Australian wine imports affected your business? Well, I have generally been 100% um, selling domestically. I have not um, been a part of that international export market. But um, all those wines that were meant to be going overseas now coming back That's exactly right. Market. And so yeah. um, how it has affected me is, of course, the increased competition within the domestic market. So all of that wine's got to be sold somewhere. So now we are seeing a lot of that wine being brought back to Australia. I mean, a lot of that wine is it's in a different price point to the category that I'm working in. And also a lot of the feedback that I've had from um, out in the trade is that, well, you know, we know, KT, you've been supporting us and um, here for the last decade. So we're obviously going to continue to support you as opposed to someone who we haven't seen in years and years and years. Because I think these tariffs are going to continue for the next um, five yeah, years. Yeah. So do you think that there's going to be some wine businesses that will fall over because of this? I think absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. There's going to be some significant changes. Amongst all this craziness of, of, of wine life, you've had a little girl... Yes. The process, uh, little Willa. Yes. What does she think of mum and her thriving business? And does she <laughs> want to take over the reins eventually? Um, no, she absolutely does not. Um, she sees mum working pretty hard. I want her to be able to know that it is possible for a young girl to achieve whatever she wants to achieve, to set her mind to. And... That, and to not be afraid of hard work. My mum was a really hard worker and so and she still is. What, what does she do? Oh, she, what did she do? Well, mum's worked in retail all of her life and um, and she most re- she's retired now but she most recently worked running an Australia Post counter, I suppose. You know, m- mum's always worked. So she really instilled in me a hard-working ethic and I'd like to think that I'm... Um, influencing Willa in that way too. 
I'm pretty sure Will, <laughs> Will is uh, not keen on um, making wine. Um, she sees how hard mum works and at this age she's not really interested. But she I hope is that, six. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And I do hope that one day she will know that if she wakes up one day that uh, and says that she wants to fly to the moon, that she's got a mum that will support her and whatever her dream might be and that she won't be afraid of the hard work that is associated with getting to those dreams and that, you know, she can remember when those moments come past her that she can, you know, seize them and take them and and roll with it. I think Willa is in good hands with a mum like Kerry. Can't wait to see her on the moon. Kerry Thompson, Australia's Riesling Queen. What a title and so well deserved too. I love Kerry's mantra, seize the moment, don't let those moments pass you by as you may never get those moments again. So true in her case, and with all of us in fact. If you're passing through Auburn, drop by her gorgeous cellar door on the main drag and get your palate prepped for some delicious wines by KT. You won't be disappointed. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Please follow and share with your friends and please rate and review. It'll make my day. While I'm here, I thought I'd just let you know what VoiceIt is all about. It's my little business. I'm a voice coach offering public speaking sessions for adults, corporates and teenagers who want to up their speaking game. I emcee the odd event and I run a small drama hub for primary age children. I'm originally an ABC broadcast journalist with 12 years experience. I love capturing people's stories, which is why this podcast has come to life. To find out more about VoiceIt, head to my website, voiceit.me. Keep listening and thank you for your support. Yeah.